Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Markets are so tough, it's probably the right time to take up golf. And I don't think they've gotten any easier in the <laughs> last six weeks. So while I'll try to provide some insights, I think people may also want to use their time constructively to learn a new skill. That was Gavin and I'm Lucy and welcome to Tomorrow's News. I am back this week and possibly thereafter. So you'll be hearing a lot more from me. This week, we will be talking about some of the moves in the market, as well as some political events that I'm sure everyone has been following very closely that has also been impacting and causing some shifts in what we're seeing this week. Before we dive into tomorrow's news, last week, you talked a little bit about the September CPI results. And from what I've been reading online, and I'm going to quote this great quote, am I the only one wondering what the heck is going on with this market? I feel like it makes no sense anymore. Today made no sense. (laughs) What's going on? Well, yeah. Today's no different. Folks are listening to this over the weekend or next week. This is Friday's market in the US and S&P up sort of 2.3% or so. And why is that? Well, that's because everybody focused on an article in the Wall Street Journal. Journalist that wrote that article, he's sort of become, in the view of the market, the mouthpiece for the Fed. So 75 basis points on November 2nd sort of looks like a lock now. The question really is the trajectory of rates into next year. We got to some pretty inflated Fed funds expectations, and they sort of pulled back with this idea that many of the Fed governors are looking at the data as it's come in. What they know and what we all know is that it takes a while for all of this tightening to work through the market. Mm. It doesn't happen instantly. So be it CPI, be it housing prices, housing sales, unemployment, it doesn't happen all in a weekend. It happens over time. And we are beginning to see the early stages of all of that happening. And I can point out a million data points that would suggest that. Very interesting. And this week, we've had some ongoing big political events. And that's probably the first time or one of the few instances where there's really been a connection between kind of political decisions and economic decisions and the impact to the market and then kind of vice versa as a result, impacting on political outcomes. What's really interesting in all of this is that Trust was the one who kind of questioned in August, she questioned whether or not the Bank of England should be truly independent. But Mm. what I would suggest, and many observers suggest the same thing, which is really there aren't independent central banks. That is, you don't have the people controlling the money and the people controlling fiscal policy, the government, truly independent of each other. What was evident with trust is really interesting, right? She clearly tried to execute on a plan that politically was untenable in the UK, Mm. sort of a crazy time to do what she did. And we can all be critical of that. But what's more interesting is what the Bank of England did. And what the Bank of England did is they stepped in to effectively buy bonds to protect 
their pension system. What that is evidence of to market observers like myself is that when push comes to shove, we can talk about pain and we can talk about fighting inflation and we can talk about all these things. But at the end of the day, we will not let the system collapse. And so what all of the bullish folks in the market would suggest out of the BOE is forget the near term. The long term is central banks are going to do what they've been doing over the last call it uh, 10 plus years, 12 plus years, they're going to chicken out. They're going to wimp out Mm. when they see what happens when there are no buyers for their bonds. Nouriel Roubini, who's no bullish commentator, very bearish, he says the same thing. Mm. He's the most bearish guy around. I think what you need to take away from this is central banks will at some point, including the Treasury and the Fed, will at some point come in to buy bonds because they have to. And has that been seen before, this role that the central banks have played well, in times they, of recession? They normally just cut Fed funds. You know, they just cut rates. That's what they do. And quantitative easing is a way of them, which they did during COVID and during the GFC and so forth, is a way of them providing that same kind of cap to bond yields right? Mm. And it's a way of pushing funds into the system. As again, it's a complicated story for today, but at the end of the day, you are going to need somebody to buy bonds. Now, even if people don't know anything about bonds, they would say, I don't want to lend my money out because the interest rate I'm going to get on that money tomorrow is going to be higher and so on and so forth, right? The markets are exactly the same. So they're sitting around waiting for a signal that says interest rates are going no higher. Mm. There's not a natural buyer of bonds here. Now, really, conspiracy-oriented folks might say, well, part of the problem here, the old buyers of bonds used to be people like China and Russia. Yeah. They needed to do something with all of their foreign exchange reserves. So Mm. what would they do? They would buy U.S. dollars, which is the most stable global medium of exchange. And they would buy, of course, to get some return and diversify. They wouldn't keep it all in cash. They would buy U.S. treasuries. Mm. Well, China's been selling treasuries now for a long time. Russia, of course, (laughs) probably would like to sell treasuries, but they had a lot of their central bank assets forfeited. So that's sure not going to go buy them again. So they're not buying. If you're looking at Saudi Arabia and these other countries, the jungle drums out of there, they're not all that keen to buy U.S. dollars here, right? Mm. So No one wants to buy these U.S. treasuries. And U.S. domestic banks and U.S. domestic investors aren't all that keen either. So at some point, you got to do something to create a buyer universe. You've got to encourage your domestic buyers, your banks. You've got to present a signal to the market that says, I'm going to cap interest rates, what Japan has done on its Mm. 10-year bond. And you do that by starting to buy treasuries. Now, there's already been some jungle drums beating out there. And the U.S. Treasury has talked about buying treasury bonds. Mm. There are reasons why that sort of makes sense for them to do. And it does provide a signaling mechanism around where interest rates may pause for a time. I think what all of this says is whatever you think of inflation and whatever you think of markets, interest rates have gone vertical very, very quickly in the US. That is, they've Mm. everything from mortgage rates to the rate that companies pay to the rate that the government pays, you know, the interest rate the government pays. In order to create a cap to that, you need to present some new fact. And that new fact pretty much has to come 
from the central bank, the Fed. And when it does come, it will come really, really fast and hard, and it will be really interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about a non-Western system, China. (laughs) And this week was a big week in China as well. We had the National People's Congress, which convenes every five years. What are you seeing from China from a market's perspective? We saw a little mini rally last week when there are rumors, and I don't even know if they've been proven out quite yet, that China is relaxing some of its COVID quarantine rule. Mm. Unclear if that's coming to pass or not. I think that there's, you know, and I've gotten this wrong because I would have called a bigger pivot prior to this, but I think that she's model appears to be one which is quite comfortable with an awful lot of economic pain being borne by the ordinary citizens of China while they try to shift from an investment-based economy mm. where people just you know put capital to work to a consumption-based economy. It's a really hard road to go down. And I think observers would say it's hard to call because it's such a different framework as a nation. But I think that that's the big deal. Now, the thing that I would observe is that the yuan has weakened substantially, right? It's setting 725. So what you got to think about when a currency declines in value and most of its debt is denominated in that currency, you effectively have inflated away, to some extent, the debt of the country. So to the extent that China can reinflate its economy, they can get growth going, and they can deflate their currency, which they seem to be quite eager to do at the moment, they effectively, it's like they'll inflate away their debt. What I think is really interesting at the moment is you've got this extreme strength in the US dollar. A few years ago, back in when Trump was president, mm. we were talking about China as a currency manipulator in that they were weakening their currency relative to where it should have been in order to improve their economy. Here yes. we are in a completely different world. Yes. And we're not talking about that at all. But it will have the same effect, which is eventually, as China opens up, this will have a massive deflationary force on the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to have a whole lot of different impacts than perhaps we expect. If there's less steel demand in China because construction is slowed, I expect it will continue to slow Mm -hmm. for some time. Well, where's all of that extra steel production going to go? When the Chinese yuan is weaker, lots of steel, well, it's going to go everywhere else in the world, isn't it, mm. right? And now there are anti-dumping, there are limits and tariff limits in the U.S., but, you know, we'll see how that all goes when people are trying to fight inflation. And at the end of the day, uh, all of these commodities are to some extent linked. And so you're going to find that there's a dampening effect on prices of Chinese goods bring to the U.S. Mm. That's not going to cure all of inflation. But it's certainly going to be interesting. And then the other one I might add, and for those of you who have seen these new Chinese electric vehicles, China's massive investment in electric vehicles, mm. well, they're half the price of a Tesla. Yeah. Right? And from what I hear, they're pretty good vehicles. Yeah. So you can imagine here in Australia, if you're getting a vehicle that's fantastic, EV has all of the bells and whistles, and it's... Mm. 40,000 Australian dollars versus 80,000 Australian dollars, 
Well, there's sure going to be a lot of those running around and it's sure going to have a, you know, an interesting impact on car prices and secondhand car prices and demand for Teslas and so forth. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we're in an interesting deflationary period as it relates to China. I think it's going to be very, very, very interesting to watch. Yeah. Lots of factors at play. So tomorrow's news, Gavin, what should we be thinking about and looking at? What are you looking at? The number one thing I'm watching at the moment is the US dollar DXY. The question for me is it probably gets close today around 112. It probably goes higher versus lower immediately. But I think that that currency is the indicator of change. And so watching that carefully in terms of where are we at, watching the US two-year bond, not the long bond, but the short-term bond. So watching where that comes, if that yield continues to decline, well, then, you know, November could be a very good month for stocks. And I would say that that's a key indicator. So those are the things I'm watching. You know, I'm generally pretty bullish in and around here on the Australian dollar going a little higher. I'm not sure that that's a permanent move. We could see lower before Mm. final, but you know, I think Australian dollars looks like it's going to go a little higher as well. So we're into confusing times, but we've got some key indicators and we'll just sort of watch and see. Amazing. And to round out today, who's interesting on Twitter this week? Yes, there is. And I will throw the person's name into our thread. There is a great outline of, and I'm not saying that this is the right approach, the great outline of a potential scenario around the US bond market. Well, we'll include it in the show notes once you share that as well. And that's a wrap. That's tomorrow's news. We'll be back next week.